Hey everybody, this is Kevin from Nerdy for 30. My co-host Tim Kack and I want to tell you to get out there and vote. Not for your local elections, though. I'm talking about something that really matters, like what TV shows and movies we cover on this podcast. See, the problem is there's too much big stuff coming out in October. You got She-Hulk, you got Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones, buzzy pop culture stuff like Don't Worry Darling, and then also old seasonal classics like Scream and Hocus Pocus. We put a little bit of everything on the ballot and we value your time, so we want to know what you want to hear the most. So make your voice heard. Go to nerdyfor30.com, that's nerdy, F-O-R, three zero dot com to cast your vote and make an impact today. Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to Nerdy 430, the podcast where comedian Tim Kack and I talk about nerdy-ish things for 30-ish minutes. Today, we're talking about a very interesting movie. This is a movie that we did not manage to get to right when it came out. There were a lot of movies going on at the time. I'm so glad we circled back to it because there's a lot that I want to say about this. I will stop vamping. It is the unbearable weight of massive talent starring Nicolas Cage. Tim, what did you think of this movie? Dude, worth the wait, bro. I had a great time. This is fun. Nick Cage. This is this is some myth building for Nick Cage. This mm. is I'm the complicated feelings I have about this kind of artistry, right? Of like an actor playing themselves is because then I start wondering who Nick Cage actually is and if he's actually a good guy. And he comes out from this movie making me think he's like Keanu Reeves level blessed of just like, you know, sweet guy who makes everybody feel good. Like Keanu Reeves is just like a universal approval. And I wonder if Nick Cage does. I can't really tell, you know, like like Brendan Fraser is making a comeback now. He did the whale and apparently got a huge standing. O at whatever that thing is, you know, you know, that thing that's like a real life Rotten Tomatoes where they, they have a whole festival and then everybody stands and claps for like 25 minutes. And that's like how you tell if a movie's good. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah, can. you know. That's yeah. uh, what the Rotten Tomatoes come in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's an embarrassing, you know, it's a lot of backslapping, but, you know, Brendan Fraser deserves it. He's like he seems to be like a universally beloved guy. I don't know if Nicolas Cage is a universally beloved guy, but I want him to be, man. I want him to be. Mm. Yeah, he's definitely universally known. He's definitely <laughs> I think what was so impressive about this movie for me is the fact that he is kind of a joke to a lot of people like nick cage was treated as a punchline for most of our adolescence and adulthood and then that that thing happened where i think it's maybe an extension of the idea of no press is bad press where because he was so well known it just became a thing where somebody goes from being an actor to being an icon like he passed icon status maybe five to ten years ago somewhere in there and past that point it's like well nick cage is amazing but there's still a little bit of irony in there like i remember being in college and the talk was that nick cage was bankrupt right like wasn't that yes, one of the big things yes he was doing the sorcerer's apprentice because he was allegedly bankrupt because he had all these houses and stuff and people were like nick cage he was in uh, national treasure, but like, look how insane he was in Con Air. Can you believe that people used to think he was a sex symbol and he almost played Superman? Like, just a complete removal from how society viewed Nicolas Cage when he first came onto the scene. And then, yeah, slowly over time, 
I think everybody just adjusted that joke version to Cage until it's like, I don't know, the kid in your high school that everybody kind of made fun of. But it's like, hey, but like, we're cool, right? Like, you're a good dude. <laughs> Richie, you're a great guy. It's the guy you always give, like, always, always made fun of, but also is like loved by everyone. <laughs> you know, like, like there is a soft spot for Nick Cage in community there i remember they had like an episode of like on the tv show community they had a whole class that was just on whether or not nick cage is a good actor oh and then abed who's just like you know kind of the stand-in for dan Harmon, or like a like you know like a fourth wall breaker just has like a nervous breakdown trying to decide if he's a good actor i'll say it nick cage good actor he's good yeah. he is very very good and i do want to get into this like i forget what he called it, the shamanistic approach to acting have you done any, have you dug into this at all no, is this a real thing? This is a real made up thing by Nick Cage that he actually believes in and subscribes to that they've incorporated into the movie as part of his character. And it's what makes this whole thing like so much more interesting to me. Like I was, I did some research online and he's basically talking about how <laughs> like shamans and mystics are the original storytellers and actors because they're they're convincing you to, they're making you believe in this world that they are creating and they're like carrying the legacy of these people and so they're when they're acting they're actually like kind of hamming it up a little bit like they're selling it more like he really believes in like not being grounded he thinks you also need to like sell he believes in selling so He's not he never does a role where it's like, oh, my God, this is like a real person I would meet on the street. He's always amplifying it because he thinks that's part of like he refers. To, I'm, I'm going to have to I'm going to look up what it what he refers to it as. But it is like shamanistic, whatever acting style that he attributes to like mythic tribal storytellers. And he thinks he views himself as like that kind of a, a, a character, if that makes sense. And it's it's really fascinating. And I think it makes a ton of sense when you look at his movies and when you view what he's doing as intentional, mm -hmm. whether or not like it, it, he's a genius, right? If, if every, if all these choices he's making are intentional, he's a genius. If they're a happy accident, then maybe he's not good at acting, but I choose to believe that he is like making all of these choices, like, you know, in the moment. And he is actually a, a prodigy. Well, it's so funny. You bring that up about whether or not it's intentional because you look at, some other people that have really distinct methods of acting and it definitely reads as intentional. Uh, the other people you brought up, Keanu Reeves, he's definitely one more recently, Matt Berry, uh, some of the classics, John Malkovich, Christopher Walken. Like these are all people that I remember reading the thing about Christopher Walken that allegedly he goes through a script, takes all of his characters lines and removes all punctuation because he decides how things are said, where sentences begin and end. It's all up to him. I think that's fascinating. Like, it definitely does add something that's specific to them. And when you're an actor in Hollywood and actors are so replaceable, I mean, bringing something truly special to the table is really cool. Yeah, he refers to it as Nouveau Sham Shamanic. And he said, you know, he's got a he in which he read about the para he he was basically researching the parallels between ancient sh shamans and thespians and adopted this. So he he's referred to it as like a kabuki, like Western style, where he's amplifying all this stuff. On top of that, 
apparently he is like an extreme method actor. And I'm just I'm like checking out his, uh, you know, Wikipedia. He's like trained, you know, like he has like a fighting movie. He does jujitsu. He apparently took out two of his teeth for uh, some movie he did called Birdie. He had like, you know, he ate just a bunch of red meat and steaks all the time for Joe. He like like he is he is like a crazy method actor, but he is on top of that overselling it like a kabuki presentation it's like truly fascinating i've i'm i'm blown away by it it's like i don't know i don't know what i don't know really how else to describe it it's it's crazy i mean he's not even like he's not an actor in the modern sense he is a performer he is like he's just a traditional artisan it seems like he like he's doing the kind of acting that you would see in like a troupe like rolling into a small village you know and he's like mm. got switching costumes and then he's just like don't go over there you know like over hyping everything and it's fascinating and it works in this movie and i think it works in all of his other movies like i'm gonna have to go back and rewatch every nick cage thing ever it's amazing it's it's made me view him in an entirely different light in that way this is like the best commercial from nick cage possible it's ha huh, it's really interesting you say the thing about how he comes in and it's like oh don't go over there like it reminds me a little bit of the scenes in uh what do you call it the tim robinson sketch show um yes. i think you should leave it reminds me of when he brings in somebody that is not an actor to do some of these parts like the scene where they're listing things about the car, like things they'd like to see in a car. Um, and there's just that dude with the long hair and you're getting a truly original method of delivering these lines. And again, there too, there's a little bit of this where it's always like, there is a part where we're laughing at this guy because he is not delivering lines. Normally this is a, this is a bad actor, but then it's also interesting because I want to, I hope, I'm probably reading too much into it, but I hope this is like Tim Robinson's intent with this is that he is giving you a truly original comedic read of this stuff that completely fucking works. Like this is a legitimate option of how to say something very strangely to make it funny. It, it totally works. So especially if it's already a funny script, like if he's already got a funny sketch laid out and then he just needs a vessel for it. So then he finds some guy. I didn't realize that guy wasn't an actor, but it kind of makes sense. So then they just like find this guy and he's delivering these lines in a real believable way. So it's like, it's not method, but it's like, he's, he's not an actor. He's just being himself and delivering these lines. And it's funny. And I guess we're kind of laughing at him, but we're also laughing I don't know if I buy this whole like laughing at people the same way too. like if they're participating in stuff like maybe reality TV or something, we laugh at people. But if they're like in a sketch, like the goal is to get laughs like like we're laughing at them. Like, I don't, I don't feel bad. You're not going to make me feel bad about watching Tim Robbins show and laughing at some of these try, people. Tim. I know you're going to try and kill my buzz on this, but you will not. My friend, That's that dude my is job, funny. Dude. I buzz kill only on this podcast. Welcome to the buzz kill corner. Listen, this is what killed the buzz for me is when I was in college, I saw Tim and Eric live. They did a series of live shows and we loved Tim and Eric. Awesome show. Great job. And they brought in this dude. Uh, his name was David Liebehart. He does a lot of stuff with these marionettes and he is, his performances are bizarre. Again, they're kind of like, they're very specific to him and they are, do not have what we would traditionally consider polish in a stage performance sense. Um, and 
one of the big things with Tim and Eric Awesome Show is they deal so much with people that are not trained actors that it's like most of the people on that show. And the question is always there as to whether or not those people are in on the joke. Are we laughing with these people or at these people because of how bad they are at delivering these lines? And with David Lee Bahart, I guess I always kind of thought they use him so much. I always thought he was in on the joke. Maybe he still is. But he came out at the show and everybody went nuts because it was like, oh, my God, this is going to be so funny. David Lee Bahart's here. And then he launched into this really long, really heartfelt speech about how happy he was to be here performing for everyone and about how he's so glad because so many people told him he would never find people that would appreciate what he does. And now he's finally found people that appreciate what he does. And the whole crowd felt bad because all of us were like, oh, we're kind of laughing at you. And to have him lay it all out there, maybe it was a masterfully delivered, like pre-planned speech to put the audience back on their feet. I don't know. I have no idea. I can't. Who tell. is this guy? I have no idea who this guy is. He's, you got to watch Tim and Eric is like oh. a Tim and Eric deep cut. You would never have known him from anything else. But he's a joke. Like they just beat him up on the show. They don't. It's that's the argument, right? Is like that's the exact thing we're in is is this guy here for us to laugh at him because he has these terrifying marionette puppets that he doesn't seem to think are terrifying. He's doing very bad marionette voices that he seems to think are good. Like, are we laughing at him or are we laughing with him? In that sense, if he is not like talking to Tim and Eric and planning some of this sense, some of this stuff, I would argue that we're laughing at him in that sense. And that makes me feel gross. I want to believe, I really hope that he's like totally in on it. He totally gets the context. I want to believe that with all the people on like Tim Robinson's show I want to believe that with all the people we talked a couple of weeks ago about um, Nathan Fielder's shows. I want to believe that with all of them. But I'm what about a little like bit Chris Gethard show. You ever watch that? Yeah. Chris Gethard show, I think, is different because people like Chris is creating purposefully a safe space for people that are a little bit out of the normal bounds of society. You know, that's what he's saying. That's what he's marketing. That's what he's saying. But then you've got people in the background wearing costumes and like whatever. And he's like, yeah, we're all a bunch of freaks or whatever. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe that that somehow rubs me worse. That's like an intentional gathering of of whatever. I don't know. I don't know. Somehow that seems worse to me. Because to me, that's just like a community building thing. That's like when you go to we went last year to uh, this show called Kaiju Big Battle. They do these things where it's like indie wrestling, but everybody's dressed up as a kaiju and they put like knee height buildings in the wrestling ring to make it look like they're like monsters that are wrestling in a city and people are super fucking into it everybody's wearing their own costumes you know i saw a my chemical romance concert this past saturday people were there in like black lace <laughs> wedding did? dresses yeah dude it was amazing it was it's so never too late good. man it's never, never too, too late, late for romance gerard way is singing great those pipes are holding up after 20 years of mcr 20 yeah, more man. baby it's like people were wearing like full on wedding dresses and like the marching band outfits from the Black Parade. Like that's just like a community aspect. And Chris Gethard is like, he's real deal that fucking guy. He came and gave us an improv workshop when I was 18 at Ohio State. And uh, at the after party afterwards, he was laying out all of the like cryptid creatures that supposedly live in the woods near Ohio State. And it's like one in the morning. and He's like, let's go fucking find some of these things. Like, let's go find some of these knee people that live out in the the woods and 
Yeah, he's, I know he's obsessed he's with those, man. but he also I also feel like on that show, he wrapped himself in a cloak of weirdos for clout to some extent. And I think there were some people huh. like in that show that, you know, aren't really his friends. And he just has them there because they're weird. And they were like, I don't know, the old lady who hula hoops uh, oh, and like, does improv. And like, I don't think he's really friends with her. You know, he got his actual show and he, you know, he ditched her. And I remember her feelings were hurt about that and like all this stuff. And it's like. I know there's other people that are like left behind. I don't know. I just think some like that somehow seems grosser and clickier to me than I don't know how we even start talking about this. We're making fun of Nick Cage. I don't even know. But but I let's let's take it back. Yeah, because I think people were making fun of Nick Cage for a long time. And I don't think Nick Cage deserves it. I think he fucking rules. I think it's always been on purpose. I think this dude is a very good actor. He's like my eyes are so drawn to him. I would watch him for four hours. It is funny. And I'm curious if anyone making the jokes at him or making jokes about him. None of it ever felt like malicious to me. I was never like, fuck Nick Cage. It was always like, check out this weird guy. I mean, mm. I remember in, in like college, we had this guy who was like, you know, a professor. He was trying to write a paper on comedy and he like came and like watched all of our stand up shows and stuff. And I mean, if you want to see on YouTube, my visual representation of like what, what this is, but I have my hands like level. And he was talking about how all comedy is status, which is like, you know, a theory that applies to a bunch of stuff. So like we make fun of politics. We make fun of the president all the time because he's high status and by making fun of him we're lowering his status which is just lowering it to our level like the whole goal of the status thing is for everyone to be at the same level so that's why we laugh someone's above us we punch up we lower them to our level you know the the celebrities they're just like us they're crazy they're all doing all this stuff somebody trips and falls your buddy trips and falls embarrasses himself you laugh at him and then you help him back up and that laughter is he's low status it brings him back up to like neutral like where you guys are. So I think a lot of that stuff is kind of like I can't there's a difference between punching down and like making fun of, I don't know, homeless people and like punching down at them and then punching down at your buddy who fell and you're trying to help him up. And I think that I guess I'm just always having a hard time trying to figure out the difference in those things. But Nick Cage, it always felt like a buddy that you wanted to help back up. Like I was always excited about Nick Cage. I've never not liked Nick Cage he's awesome i, I saw ghost rider 2 i'm all in on this guy <laughs> he gave Wait, me there was a ghost rider 2 yes there was it was directed by the guys from crank it oh, is a shit fuck. show and it is uh it is fun i haven't rewatched it as i've rewatched ghost rider a lot i've not rewatched ghost rider 2 i don't think but you know still good still fun i would love it i mean they have to bring nick cage in as the ghost rider in I'll the MCU. So if they don't, it's insane. If they could just recast Ghost Rider, they're they're leaving money on the fucking table. They're ignorant. They don't know what they're talking about. The only reason that they are doing Secret Wars should be so that they could bring back Ghost Rider, Nicolas Cage. <laughs> like it's insane if they let that go. I showed Lauren the trailer for that immediately after we watched this movie, and she was like, Oh my god, what is this? <laughs> she doesn't have any familiar with the Ghost Rider. I had to tell her that Nick Cage to play Ghost Rider had to have a tattoo of Ghost Rider digitally removed from his own forearm because he <laughs> already had the tattoo. The man loves Ghost Rider. That's amazing. And I love him. Pedro Pascal. Yes. Can we get a champion? A, can I hit the beef? Or sorry, yeah. the thief. Oh, the, thief. the beef. The thief. Oh, my God. Hit the thief. I think you're a thief. Pedro Pascal. 
<laughs> what can't this guy do? I feel like for a minute, I I don't. I'm I'm all, I'm confused. I was a little confused on like the Pedro Pascal hype. I feel like, like why? I don't know. It just feels like everyone's like Pedro Pascal, Pedro Pascal. I'm like, what has he done? He was the Mandalorian, which is very cool, but his, you don't even see his face the whole time. He's very monotone. I think a few people could do that. Then he was in like Wonder Woman two, mm-hmm. right? I feel like that's everything I've seen Pedro Pascal. In. <laughs> <laughs> but after watching this oh yeah he wasn't getting no he was awesome in game of thrones yeah he was awesome i forgot he was in game of thrones yeah no that was awesome but this i was like i want more of this guy he's phenomenal he's so fun and just so pleasant he just seems like such a pleasant dude and it just like comes across. I don't know. He could be, he could be a monster. I'm always saying, you know, no heroes. These actors could all be terrible, monstrous people. Pedro Pascal. He just seems like a, like a decent guy. And you know, I can believe that he's a villain and I also just don't want him to be. Don't make him the bad guy. Oh my God. My heart would break if he was the real villain of this story. Oh my God. I know. Spoiler he's, alert, maybe, he's not. He's maybe one of the only guys where they've ever, one of the other characters where they've tried to pull that card of but is he the bad guy or is he not actually the bad guy where you're like there's no way he's the bad guy we love him way too much like there's no way they would let him be the bad guy in this movie the chemistry between he and nick cage is so believable it's like it's completely real uh i think maybe maybe i should hit the beef theme where's the beef my only beef with Pedro Pascal in this movie is that this movie is using him not as himself, which, you know, completely would negate the premise of the movie. Like, I guess my my frustration with the fact that he's here is because I feel like Pedro Pascal is a big enough actor that going into this movie, I was like, oh, it's just it's going to be weird to have Nicolas Cage as himself. It was weird to have um, what's his name from How I Met Your Mother as his agent. Like, it was weird that to was- have way weirder insane because he's played himself like in harold and kumar yeah like he shows up as neil patrick harris and i was when he said when he gave another name or said he was the agent i was i had no idea what was going on it really takes you out like (laughs) theoretically going into this movie here's where i was at i was like this movie should be entirely actors that i have never seen before and nick cage to sell the idea that nick cage is playing himself so when pedro pascal was in the trailers and everything i was like how am I not going to view this movie as just Nick Cage, the actor, and Pedro Pascal, the actor, hanging out? Mm. And the answer is because Pedro Pascal is so good that you get past it in a way that you never get past it with Neil Patrick Harris. Like, you just completely believe that he's Javi. He's Javi, man. He's Javi the whole time. He is Javi. I guess, I mean, worst case, it's also like Pedro Pascal and Nicolas Cage hanging out. Like, I loved it. I mean, on some level, I was also excited that that was happening. Mm. Neil Patrick Harris, I do love. I do have a soft spot for How I Met Your Mother somehow. And uh, Neil Patrick Harris is, is great. He's just always Neil Patrick Harris to me. I can't not see him as Neil Patrick Harris. And it's so jarring when he's there. He seems out of place. He does. He seems like more of a character than Nicolas Cage does (laughs) in a very weird. I don't I don't know how else he could do it. It's just like the 
the fifth guy in a sitcom. Like if that guy from whatever Big Bang Theory ever started acting in any other movies, it would be like, what the fuck is Sheldon doing here? <laughs> like, I just feel like he, they have such specific energies that made them massively successful on the thing they were a part of and leaving that it doesn't translate the same way. So yeah. it just seems it's, it's way more jarring to see Neil Patrick Harris than it is Pedro Pascal. I mean, Tiffany Haddish, not really jarring. I mean, it's kind of a throwaway part, I guess. I mean, anyone could have done yeah. it. That was a yeah. weird, weird use of Tiffany Haddish. Good to see her. Like Baron Holtz. Sure. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> Like Baron Holtz is there. They had some funny banner about Nick Cage movies. Why would I see crude two? I'm an adult. Great. Great script. You know, it's fun. So what do you think? I haven't, I did zero research on this. I think Nick Cage like produced this movie, mm-hmm. but did somebody write this for Nick Cage and pitch him on the, how do you think this came about? What do you think the origin of this whole thing is? I think you're exactly right. I'm going to pull this up right now, but I'm willing to bet that somebody wrote this just for the hell of it managed to get it to him and he was like this would be a fun thing to do at this point in my career it's so funny and he does a ton of smaller indie movies the dude just wants to act whether it's for money or not i don't know it seems like he just really loves it and it's his job and i was really kind of buying i was really buying all of his thesis statements in the movie where he talks about how this is work And people are saying you're working too much. And he's like, but this is my job. I just, I, all that stuff kind of resonated with me. All the monologues that he gives in the movie. I, I want to believe that that's actually Nick Cage talking. Like I buy it. I, I buy that this script somehow captured at least a portion of how he feels about the industry and about himself and how he views himself as an actor. It makes fun of the shamanistic thing that he apparently is like really actually into it's it's incredible my like his approval rating for me has just gone through the roof he's he's amazing big time he was so game i really respect the fact that he was so game to play a very flawed egotistical version of himself as well like the idea that uh that scene at his daughter's birthday party just had me pulling my shirt up oh over my, my god eyes. i couldn't cringe so hard I couldn't watch it. It was unbearably awful. Oh my God, dude. I, and like, it would kind of suck to like have somebody write a script about you and have that be in there. But he was game for it. Like he understood the difference in that way between them critiquing him as an actual person and him, like the idea of him being critiqued. And I feel like that would be too much for a lot of actors to get past. And I'm completely basing that on a stereotypical idea of like Hollywood actors being like very image obsessed and conceited and worried about like, well, will people actually think I'm this person? He gets the bit. I think that's what I'm getting at. He understands the bit and how he fits into the bit. He gets the context. It's great. He gets the bit and he's also just interesting. Like his, he's different. <laughs> he's a character onto himself. We've like, as a society kind of projected a character onto him. So I want to watch this with Nick cage. I don't know what other actor I would even care to see this for. I don't know what else, what other actor I want to see playing himself. I don't know how many other people I'd be interested in. I don't think I'd want to watch Pedro Pascal play himself. Yeah. He doesn't quite have, I, I adore him. I don't think he quite has the same persona built up around him. I think the only way that it works, I mean, hell, look, being John Malkovich, 
uh, I think it works for those people that I listed that have those very specific like yes. niches carved out for themselves. I think Keanu could do it for sure. Um, you know who mm. absolutely cannot and who? who absolutely did not go for the same pitfalls that I'm praising Nick Cage for going for uh, is fucking LeBron and Space Jam A New Legacy. Oh my God. That's fucking kill yourself, LeBron. That the was the opposite of, of this role. <laughs> <laughs> i can just picture meetings where it's like lebron you have to have a flaw like you have to have a flaw so that you can be redeemed over the course of the movie and he's like yeah my flaw is that i'm too good at basketball and i want my son to be too good at basketball <laughs> i expect okay? too much of my children because they're great and i know they can do it <laughs> i believe too much I believe too much <laughs> i'm too good a father that's my flaw <laughs> It's boy, I just had traumatic flashbacks to that. It was really just a truly <laughs> awful movie going experience. Maybe the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. And I had to see Joker twice. So that's saying something. I love so much that that is your floor. Um, I, Keanu did it. I just remembered too. Keanu did it in that Netflix movie. Yes. Yes. The Ellie Wong movie. Yeah. Oh, that was so good. Soul. Oh, oh my, my God. God. That's so great because it's like it's it's really like an improv character or something like that where they take a little thing that he kind of believes in and just crank it up to 11 because like you see you ever see that clip of you know Keanu Reeves on what's her uh, what's her face former Charlie's Angel who uh, she had like some talk show the Drew Barrymore show and she asks him if he's a lover or a fighter and he's like if you're a lover you gotta be a fighter because if you don't fight for your love what love do you have and then he gets up like he's embarrassed already but like he had to say it and I'm just like this is Keanu like he is you know saying I miss your thighs to some woman (laughs) you know like (laughs) like maybe that's too much but it is like it's a believable step they're going A to B to C to create these characters and it's fascinating and like it's just very believable that nick cage could be self-absorbed and being into his work and whether he is or not i don't know he definitely has more than one kid he's been married a few times he has that one kid who's like in a goth like metal band oh yeah you ever seen him long hair <laughs> all gothed out and uh, they seem to get along great like i don't know it's 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 exciting the other analogy i just thought of for his acting which I always think of wrestling analogies is like there's wrestlers who wrestle for TV mm-hmm. and then they, they refer to some wrestlers as like wrestling for the cheap seats and like you're in an arena like they punch somebody, but they want the people in the top of the arena to see them. So they make the punch bigger and like sell it like that. And that's kind of how I'm been thinking about Nick Cage's acting now, which is like he could everyone acts now for like the movie, but he is acting He's acting for the people in the cheap seats. He's like just doing a little bit more, going a little over the top. And I respect the hell out of it, man. What a guy. What a gem. That's amazing. What a mensch. God. Damn. That's a great observation. Any other beefs? Any other thieves? Um, I really liked the concept of 90s cage being around. Yes. Really liked that. It was very fun. I liked the conversations he was having with 90s cage and that he was just talking to no one and getting confirmation of that that he actually was verbalizing these conversations (laughs) that fits so well with the concept of this like really eccentric guy that we've all painted nick cage to be um 
I don't think, I mean, I definitely don't have, I think the only other like beef I can think of is this movie does lose steam. Yeah. It gets too caught up in this plot that we didn't need that much of. Like the meat of this movie was his interactions with everyone, his interactions with the hobby, his interactions with uh, his family. There's a lot of stuff like his family being brought over to Mallorca that didn't necessarily make sense. It kind of a lot of times these moves feel like bad improv scenes where you do the move live on stage and then everybody on the team has to deal with the fact that we've all seen that this is a bad move. We have to play with it now. <laughs> and like when they're brought to Mallorca and his uh, wife and his daughter are like, wait, you're fine. OK, so. I guess we leave now. It's immediately like there's no, <laughs> there's no stakes to being here. It reminds me of uh, the movie Day Shift when there's the scene of the evil vampires bringing... Uh, spoilers for Day Shift, but you should not care. Uh, there's the scene where the evil vampires are bringing Jamie Foxx's wife and daughter down into like this dungeon and then Jamie Foxx is arguing with the evil vampires later and they keep cutting to the one evil vampire and Jamie Foxx's daughter is just standing still. For the entire conversation because she has nothing to do nothing to say but the continuity people knew that she should be in the scene and she should be in the shot she is human scenery like there's nothing else for her to be doing there <laughs> yeah i mean it is a real trope to bring like the wife and kid into it it kind of makes sense. I mean, it creates a fun arc. I also do like the moment when he catches when he catches the knife at the end. Mm. And I was like, what the f-? And then it becomes the movie. I was like, this is great. They that knew what awesome. they were doing. They just they did some very good intentional stuff there. What I always think is weird. I don't know if this is a beef necessarily, but I always think it's interesting that like at the beginning of a movie, I know there's definitely other examples of this where like the beginning of the movie, it feels like the world is huge and like they can do whatever they want. And then immediately they fly to a location and that's just where the rest of the movie is. Yeah. It's very, it's weird, right? Like, I don't know. I don't know what that is. I'm sure there's more examples of that. Like, like wedding crashers comes to mind Mm -hmm. where it's like, we're crashing all these weddings, all this stuff's going crazy. And then an hour and a half of the movie is like just at this house, you know, like partying with the family or whatever like it it is weird i don't know if it's a problem but it stood out to me it does it does almost feel like a problem of tone anytime that happens um because it it makes it seem almost like there's more of this world that has been forgotten about and i'm i don't want to bring up the shit where it's like in my screenplay new york city is a character but to a certain extent like being able to go to these different locales or have cutaway scenes that take place in different locales does seem like you're introducing a lot and it makes it as though like maybe your ability to go to different places is a fundamental part of the movie. But I'm also immediately trying to figure out why that bothers me and things like this. Cause I noticed that as well, but doesn't bother me in jaws where we talked about it last week. It's just half of the movie is in Amity and then the other half is on a very small boat. Yeah, it bo- it doesn't bother me at all there. It kind of bothers me in like multiverse of madness. Yeah, because we're kind of sold on the multiverse and they go and then three it's that. fucking places. They go three places. So that's a little disappointing. And I guess maybe for Nick Cage, you're just thinking he's larger than life. This is like his whole thing. And then at the end, by the end of the movie, I was like, oh, so we just spent the whole time 
at this one castle. It seems kind of crazy that that's Nick Cage. I mean, he's a global superstar. It's like this could be bigger than anything. And that's kind of what we got. Mm-hmm. I was also expecting more action. I'll be honest. I was expecting some crazy fight scene. I wanted to see something awesome. Uh, maybe some more explosions. Not enough. Not enough. Yeah. yeah. What do you think of all the that and like all the meta commentary? What did you think of how meta it was? I was kind of I was kind of here for it, but they definitely had a few conversations where they're talking about their script and really describing what's going on in the movie mm-hmm. <laughs> and where the movie's going and like what the plan for the movie is. And I kind of liked it. I didn't, I, I kind of wanted less of that and more just Nick Cage references. Like just keep talking about Nick Cage. You know? Yeah. I, I could have done with a little bit less. I think a big part of the reason that it worked when it did happen is the fact that Nick Cage obviously is a person that we already going into the movie know is involved in Hollywood. And then the basis of Javi's character is that he is obsessed with Nick Cage and wants Nick Cage to read a screenplay that he's slaved over. So I think because it was part and parcel to the two main characters, it works to have them talking about a script. It was right on the line for me. If there had been any more of it, I would have been out. I think they like hit the absolute max. The cup was all the way to the top and nothing spilled over for me. And I'll be honest, I am a real sucker for the moments when I feel like the artist is just straight up telling you what his deal is, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like the monologues from Nick Cage where he's like, I'm an actor. This is what I believe in. Like, this is what acting is. I, I just want to hear Nick Cage tell me what acting is. It's so good. It's so fun. I mean, you know, Rick and Morty or like Community is another one where it's like, you know, if you're if you're into Dan Harmon. I feel like he has some great, you know, storytelling points and things like that. And occasionally you'll just get a monologue from like Rick and Morty where it's like, oh, this is Dan Harmon venting right now. Like this is just straight up how he feels about storytelling. And he is telling you right now. And I'm kind of a sucker for it. You know, like, I don't know. felt like they got that in. I saw BJ Novak's new movie. It's like there's a few scenes in that where it's like BJ Novak is just he's just through the characters in the story. He's just straight up telling you his point of view on this thing. And I love it. I like getting POVs from people, you know, POVs. I all, that's my go-to Google search POV. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I, uh, I really enjoyed one of my favorite moments in this movie was Nicholas Cage quitting acting over the phone yes. to his agent. It felt like what a real I'm quitting acting announcement from Nick Cage would be. I wonder if he had that draft already, if that was from him or if that was something the writer director put in because it just felt real. Yeah. And you know what? When we're talking about endings, we got to say that's the end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Tim, I just cut you off. What were you about to say? Kevin, one final question. Oh, hit me. What's your favorite movie of all time? And why is it Paddington 2? Oh my god, Tim. I am so glad you asked. You're correct in that it's Paddington 2. And I'll tell you why next week when we talk about Paddington 2 on this podcast. That's right. We weren't going to let you go without mentioning the Paddington stuff. We're just going to do a whole episode on it. Uh, (laughs) I could not be more excited. Paddington 2, baby. It made Nick Cage cry. Did it make Kevin cry? I do realize how low that bar is. <laughs> oh my god. Find out next week, baby. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Give us five stars, five stars. And until next week, stay nerdy. Bye. 
Bye. <laughs> oh. Are they going to make a sequel to this movie? I think I want a sequel Ooh, to Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. I want their Paddington 2, but for Unbearable Weight. Oh, my God. That'd be incredible. Which all that means <laughs> is you just get Hugh Grant in there as a missing piece. <laughs> yeah. You never knew you were yeah. missing. Yeah. You throw Hugh Grant in there. We're good. <laughs>